Support for this podcast comes from Transform. Recruiting Feature is excited to announce a partnership with Transform. Transform brings together people-driven leaders, investors and innovators across industries and backgrounds with a shared passion for people innovation and transforming the world of work. Transform 2024 promises to be the best yet. You can expect three days of powerful content, innovation showcases, probing conversations, hands-on learning experiences, over 300 speakers, and energising after-hours networking Las Vegas style. So, come and meet me in Vegas on March the 11th through the 13th. Register now and save $200 by going to mattalder.me slash transform. That's mattalder.me slash transform. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 592 of the Recruiting Future podcast. The shelf life of skills is getting ever shorter, which has significant implications for talent acquisition. It's essential that TA leaders take an active role in developing the overall skills strategy for their business. If employers want to be effective skills-based organisations, it's clear that talent acquisition talent management, L&D and strategic workforce planning must be closely aligned. My guest this week is Malcolm Taylor, Head of Capability at the UK Health Security Agency. Over the last few years, Malcolm has led a highly effective initiative to use data to drive upskilling, talent development and talent acquisition. In our conversation, he shares valuable insights on skill strategy and some interesting perspectives on the likely role AI will play in L&D in the future. Hi, Malcolm, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Please, could you introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Sure. Yeah. My name is Malcolm Taylor. I am the Head of Capability at the UK Health Security Agency, which all sounds very grandiose. It's uh, working for what was Test and Trace and Public Health England, And my job basically involves developing professional maturity, enabling skills development within the organisation that supports our future workforce planning. Fantastic stuff. And I kind of want to dive into a lot about what you're doing, what you've what you've done in your previous role, because there's some really interesting, some really interesting insights in there. Before we do though, I suppose just to set the context, why is learning and upskilling so important right now at this point in 2024? Sure, and I think um, there's how long have you got really? But I think um, in terms of the the short, the short abbreviated abridged version of the answer today, I think um, learning and upskilling, particularly in this current landscape, I think super important for for a variety of reasons. But for me, it's that kind of link to the competitive job market that we're in at the moment. I think it's um, highly competitive out there around kind of people having the relevant skill sets for. The kind of ever-changing jobs, right? So kind of jobs that were really relevant a few years ago are kind of becoming outdated. The span of life skills, life cycle is kind of ever-shortening. And then kind of obviously the rapid technological advancements with AI and everything else is kind of really impacting the kind of need for constant development of people's skills. 
And then alongside that, I think kind of on the flip side of the recruitment aspect, I think we've got the challenge of employee engagement and satisfaction and you know, various research is showing us that people with clear career pathways and career development opportunities are more likely to stay and retain in, in the organisation. So, you know, uh, at a job level, I think they're so important, but also when you start to think broader in terms of the globalisation and the kind of the, the dynamics that's going on in the world at the moment, I think keeping people agile and kind of at the forefront of skills development is is becoming ever more important for organizations and businesses. I suppose this is a very generic question that's very difficult to answer, but I'm just really interested about you're talking about there about the the lifespan of a skill is getting much shorter. How much shorter? How much has that sort of changed in the last few years? I think we're seeing things turning around kind of rapidly in terms of months as opposed to years if I'm honest Matt I think um I've got to I've got to a place now where I'm no longer really focusing on developing content for what people need to learn rather than equipping them with the skills in how to learn because I just think that kind of trying to keep pace with content creation to match the, the demand for skills is depending on the size of your team and the kind of resources at your hand, I just don't think you'll ever keep pace with that content creation. So yeah, really, really, really short term, I think in terms of months rather than years nowadays for skills. Well, I think that's really interesting. And I think that's really interesting as well for everyone who's listening in, in talent acquisition in terms of in terms of the skills that they're recruiting for. Dive into all of this in a bit more detail as we sort of go through our conversation. I suppose to give some context to all of this, Tell us about the the previous role that you had, because I know that you kind of address some of the business challenges there. You address the business challenge that you had with some of the things you did with skills and talent. Tell us about that. Yeah, sure. So previously to moving over to um, where I am now, I work for the Met Office, the weather people, not the police. And um, what we, I was basically set a challenge by my previous chief people officer around the skills picture of the organisation. We we kind of knew what jobs we had, but whether people were competent and had the right skills to do those jobs in the organisation, we had very little evidence or data to kind of give us that give us that picture. So with that with that business challenge, I set out to develop some kind of processes in terms of being able to a provide employees with some empowerment around their own development but also the ability to capture some of the skills data that we that we needed and so we set up 18 professions um, across the organization and within those professions they were aligned to either civil service frameworks or industry frameworks and Using those frameworks, we create a self-assessment tool for individuals. And um, basically, this self-assessment tool enabled employees to kind of look at where they were on their skills development journey against what was required for that role and whether they were kind of meeting the expectations or kind of there were gaps gaps in, in the picture. But what was really good for us is we took the data and collated that come out of the back of that and we was able to start creating a really rich and varied picture of of the skills within the organization not just at kind of a skill level but at a grade level at a location level and as you can imagine if creating those kind of heat maps of skills across the across the nation and our various sites across the across the globe we was able to start really doing some either targeted focused L&D or 
focused recruitment. It started to influence our future demand management. So kind of the data that we were able to capture from that really started to address some of that, not just only that skills picture, but some of those workforce planning challenges we had around kind of talent and succession planning and all of that sort of stuff. So yeah, just from that just from that one business challenge around kind of identifying your skills picture, we was able to use that data in various ways to support workforce planning. And how long did that take? Because I think sometimes people look at, you know, the whole talk about skills and they look at their organization and they think, oh, we're never going to be able to get that level of understanding in any kind of in any kind of constructive way very quickly. How long did that take? And, you know, what was the kind of the resources that you had to put behind it to make it work? So I, I would say from kind of the initial business problem being challenged to me, I would say we probably went on about a three year journey with it all. What I would say, private sector, you'd probably do it a little bit quicker than kind of we took because, you know, civil service does have levels of bureaucracy and red tape that has to be overcome. But I would say three years, fairly consistent, focused, hard work got us to a really good place in terms of a building the maturity within professions and setting up the governance and structures around that to delivering that kind of endpoint user assessment self-assessment whereby we was able to start capturing data so the in terms of the data we started capturing probably about 12 months ago at the met office and it started to kind of then be filtered through into some really usable dashboards for kind of those involved in talent and business planning so yeah about three year journey in terms of the resources I had a team of about five working on it fairly consistently, but probably I would say two FTE, two full-time equivalents over that three-year period in terms of effort. And do you think that some of the technology, the AI that's coming onto the market at the moment would be able to speed up that kind of a process? Most definitely, yeah. I think in, I think there is there is quite a lot of heavy lifting at the front end to identify all of those skills and map your job through to relevant skills for that particular job. But what I what I see AI being able to do really well in the future. So with our professions, we really kind of created that vertical view of career pathways. But AI should should in theory be able to start create much more of a common language across professions because one of the things I identified is that profession A might describe a particular competency or a skill in one way and profession B might describe that very same competency or skill in a very different way so I think AI should be able to start helping some commonality in language so that you can actually look at your careers both horizontally and vertically which kind of then creates a world of opportunities for employees and kind of future future recruitment so um, I think AI has got to fast track and automate a hell, a hell of a lot of that front loading work that went on but beyond that you know who who knows I think in terms of augmenting someone's learning journey I think AI I think the opportunities are endless if I'm honest Matt and the more the more I cover and pick at that particular particular problem the more i the more i realize how much it's going to benefit individuals absolutely absolutely and we'll talk about that a little bit more a bit later actually so but i suppose coming back to this kind of project this kind of approach i mean what were the benefits and, and drawbacks of doing it this way i think the the benefits around kind of getting that real rich tapestry of data and that tells the whole skills recruitment talent succession planning picture was 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 a hell of a benefit for us you know enabling data-driven decision making which 
if you're trying to ask for money and you're building business cases around that, if you've got the data to back it up, it tells a very compelling story, right? I think the, the drawbacks for me was the amount of manual intervention at the, at the start because we, we were basically creating spreadsheet after spreadsheet, Matt. And, and as I mentioned earlier about skills and the, the life cycle of those skills, you're, you're then wedded to a maintenance regime of those spreadsheets to make sure that the skills are relevant and, and, and upkept. So I think some of the drawbacks is around the, the ongoing maintenance of it for sure. A quick message from our sponsor, Winolo. Hi everyone, I want to tell you about Winolo. That's W-O-N-O-L-O. Winolo stands for Work Now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work. Ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process and use Winolo to find quality workers fast and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees, you can save on operating costs, meet demand and maximise earnings with ease. Winolo is available in over 100 markets including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www.winolo.com pod. That's www.wonolo.com slash pod and take the stress out of finding workers. You've recently moved into this new role. What are you kind of carrying over? What are you sort of doing the same? What are you doing differently? What are you not doing? I think what I've what I've come into my new role, I think there's lots of things that I bring in terms of the final outcomes with that kind of data picture, empowering individuals to own more of their development and kind of treating people more like adults as opposed to parent-child type relationships. But I think what I'm actually looking at now is professions themselves owning more of these processes so you know many hands make like work as they say really focusing on me being a a specialist partner to the organization rather than someone that's kind of a center of expertise that's kind of where we're we're really focusing our attention so creating more of the transactional stuff out in the business as opposed to kind of within my team I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I suppose that comes back to something you've mentioned a, a couple of times as we've been talking, which is the the whole way that people learn and the whole way that technology is changing that, particularly AI, particularly all the information that's kind of that's kind of out there. Talk us through that. How is that changing learning in the um, in in the corporate space, and how do people need to think about it? There's a couple of things here for me, and I think one of the phrases I heard a while back, and I can't remember who who it was attributed to, was this kind of idea that. One of the biggest risks of AI is making us very effective, ineffective practices, right? So I'm very, very keen to kind of avoid those pitfalls of just automating bad practices. And I think when I when I look at learning pedagogy in this country, it's not really changed much since Victorian times. It's very much chalk and talk, testing people on what they can remember rather than what they can do. And I think if at the moment, if you pointed AI um, at kind of the internet and asked it to create some learning for you, it would come up with your standard e-learning with a multiple choice questionnaire at the end of it, right? And for me, that's not the way to benefit from AI in the learning sphere. I think what, what often happens when you create a piece of learning 
you try and it, it gets created for the lowest common denominator in the audience that it's potentially being displayed at. Whereas I think the opportunities that AI brings us, given the access it will have to information, is augmenting that learning journey and really personalizing it to the person that's kind of the person's ability, right? So even you can add a little bit of stretch in there as well, but kind of giving them, for me, and I mentioned it earlier about teaching people how to learn. There's a university in, in the States called Minerva University that ripped up its curriculum a while back. And they're very much focused on that building curiosity and critical thinking type elements into people's skill set and then giving them the tools to then go and find ways in which they learn. And for me, it's really about moving away from that knowledge retention more to problem solving and action theory and action learning and kind of really focusing actually in community-based learning. I think that's where the future exists in terms of building skills within an organization. So, um, yeah, really, really challenging kind of the status quo, really. I think um, that's what learning should be at the forefront and the innovation of kind of people development. And I think kind of challenging that status quo will come with AI. Yeah, a couple of follow-up questions on that. First of all, tell us a bit more about community-based learning. Yes, so real passion of mine. I kind of it all started off with Etienne Wenger many, many moons ago around the concept of kind of the collective mind, right? And um, we actually a good example of this in in the workplace was within our technology um, team at the Met Office. There was this real challenge around our IT practitioners. Um, consistently failing to uh, be successful at interview for senior IT practitioners. And one of the things we kind of identified within that process by doing some discovery work was technically in terms of coding skills and all of that, the IT practitioners were more than competent, but they weren't being exposed to the sorts of things that our senior IT practitioners would be. So things like managing budgets, project management, finance, all the sorts of things that you'd have the further up the food chain you go. So we created this thing called the technology and learning pathway, which is very much based around community-based learning. So you had to apply to come onto this, this project and within the cohort, they would all take turns at playing different roles within the project. They would work on a real world business problem. So it comes came with the, the real world stresses and strains and responsibilities of, of delivering a work project. And through that period of a six-month project, they would all gain exposure to the elements that were required of a senior IT practitioner. And we ended up with something like a 98% success rate of those going through that program into achieving that future progression. And I think kind of just working on programs and projects and problems with a community of kind of interested people, similar interested people, really does help share that. And I think, you know, if I may, if you indulge me a little bit, it kind of draws really on kind of really tried and tested things from back in kind of pre-industrial revolution days, right? Where so-and-so would set up a, a greengrocer or a butcher in a village. They would take on an apprentice. They would learn the skills and then they would move to the next village or town and they would set up their own and the chain would con continue, right? And I think that kind of peer-to-peer community-based learning approaches, whilst we can modernize it with the use of technology as an enabler the theory behind that for me really does resonate with me in today's workforce because you're learning at the point that you can apply the theory it's learning in the flow of work 
it's no longer taking someone out of the workplace to do a training course and bring them back in where potentially some of the knowledge is forgotten on that journey between the point of learning and the point of application. And I think it has real merit in today's society and it's a lot cheaper as well, Matt, which can, which also tells a very compelling story to your chief finance officer when you're asking for more support in this area. Of course. And my, my other sort of second question around, around that was people's attitudes to it, because there are obviously lots of people in the workforce who are used to learning and development being delivered in a very structured way, as you say, through external training courses and just learning lots of, lots of information. And, you know, we now live in a world where you can do all kinds of different qualifications and things using using the internet. You know, you could you could learn all day every day if you wanted to. What are people's attitudes like to changing the way that they kind of learn and develop within organisations? Are people stuck in that the way that they've always done it, or open to doing things differently? I think it's, it it varies, if I'm honest, and it probably it varies across sector as well. Uh, I, I would say that you know some of the kind of more academic industries and sectors tend to really struggle with the concept of moving away from what I would class as formal training because it's pretty much founded in the 70-20-10 approach to, to development and I think for me it's there will always be a place for training sitting in a classroom or sitting online you know I wouldn't want to get on a plane if someone hadn't had, had any practical training but it's kind of showing them that the the kind of 70-20 experiential type learning that community-based learning is part of can support that formal training in a much more agile and adaptive way. And I think the hearts and minds piece, people will react. It's, they see it's learning on the cheap, um, but it's kind of really trying to explain and tell that what's in it for me story and that, you know, this is access to learning at your fingertips, whereas kind of booking on a training course might be months away and I I often use the example Matt of if you're at home and your boiler breaks you're not going to book yourself on a course to be able to learn how to fix boilers or you're potentially not even going to book an engineer to come and out you might just go on YouTube to see if you can fix it yourself right and for me it's that kind of YouTube type learning where we try and find the solutions ourselves first before we go down that more formal route. You mentioned sort of talent acquisition a couple of times in the conversation. What's the role for talent acquisition in, in, in all of this, in this kind of, you know, this whole skills-based way of thinking? I think it's it, it's front and centre, Matt. So we've, we've got a structure within the civil service around functions and kind of professions. And within, within that professions, there's quite a really well-established structure in terms of heads of profession. And they are seen as your kind of standard bearer within an organisation around what good looks like in, in the profession. And they, they have very, one of their key priorities is ensuring that the standards that are within the organisation around the skills are at the forefront of kind of their industry. And I think that that talent acquisition and future skills is very much driven through our professions and our professional standards who are benchmarked against industry. Then then that kind of obviously links into the kind of the reward and recognition mechanisms that come alongside that. So yeah, I think I think talent for me, front and centre Matt, you know, without without knowing what the skills picture like, you do not know what your future talent's like either. Absolutely. And as a final question, I suppose, to sum up everything that we've been talking about, what do you hope the future looks like for talent and skills and and work? I think for me, if I was to, you know, crystal ball time, if I was to kind of fast forward three years, 
I would love to see us so much more integrated in the way we work across the organisations that we all work for. I think these things are seen so separate and disparate from each other. And I just think learning and development, talent acquisition, recruitment retention, employee value proposition, they are so all intrinsically linked that working together to develop kind of a more holistic solution to what the future of organization needs has to be the key. And I think sometimes we forget that we all work for our for one employer rather than I work for LND or I work for resourcing. And I think kind of that great greater collaboration for me would just be an absolute dream. Malcolm, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you, Matt. My thanks to Malcolm. You can follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to our newsletter, Recruiting Future Feast, and get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time. And I hope you'll join me. This is my show.